We are Chris and Beth Bruno, and this is the Walking With Podcast. God called you to walk with people. He called us to help you. Join us for a conversation at the intersection of theology, psychology, and ministry. Each week, our goal is to replace a little bit of your overwhelm with more confidence in caring for the people you walk with. We are in the middle of a series called Amplified. We are diving into week four, week five of quarantine under COVID-19, and we are seeing that all of the things that were already a thing are now a bigger thing. Uh, All of the issues that we were already experiencing are amplified now that we're stuck at home. And last week, we kind of introed this concept, and now we want to take a deep dive into a particular issue that we are really concerned about, and that is domestic violence. There are other issues we are equally concerned about that we are seeing as amplified addictions, uh, racism, especially with our Asian American brothers and sisters, child abuse. There are lots of things we could cover. This week we want to dive into domestic violence and we turn to our friend and fellow uh, therapist and expert in this regard, both with her lived experience and her focus of study while in grad school, and that is Sarah Cardlin, who is uh, living up in Seattle, and we'll get to her in just a second. Sarah also wrote um, a great article for us that we posted over on Restoration Counseling's website with specifics of websites and phone numbers and things that you can look up. I will make sure that those are in the show notes for you. Friends, as you are walking with others, this is an issue that we want you to be aware of and alert to. And so we hope that this this is helpful to you um, as you consider those who might be suffering from physical, sexual, financial, emotional, spiritual, and or emotional abuse. Um, What do you need to be aware of? So let's dive into our conversation with Sarah. Well, Sarah, welcome to the Walking With podcast. It's so great to have you. Our history goes back a couple decades, and so it's just great to reconnect with you. Uh, We are super excited for the conversation that we're about to have here. We would love first for you just to share a little bit about what you're doing and what you're up to these days. Yeah, thanks, Chris and Beth, for having me. It's great to reconnect with you again. I live in the Seattle area, and I am a therapist working with teens who have co-occurring disorders, meaning that they have mental health disorders and substance use disorders at the same time. And I love working with them, um, and I work with their parents, and I do parent coaching with them. Well, Sarah... We have been in a series called Amplified, and we've just been talking about how all the things that were previously a thing are now a bigger thing (laughs) now Mm -hmm. that we are in the COVID quarantine. And, you know, when we were thinking about some of those issues that different people 
are facing, you came to mind as a friend of ours who is an expert in the area of domestic violence. That's a um, focus of your studies at the Seattle School, and you also have lived experience. And so we knew that we wanted to talk with you about what this might be looking like for individuals who are suffering um, on some some place of the spectrum, right, of domestic mm-hmm. violence. And now that they are in lockdown, um, we just wanted to hear from you a little bit about what that might mean for them. What's the reality of what's really going on right now for individuals who find themselves in that sort of situation? Can you speak into that? Sure. Yeah, that's that's a really important topic, um, and it's actually been something that's been on my mind ever since uh, COVID uh, became a greater and greater thing that we've had to to, to deal with. Um, I know that anytime there's um, something big that happens, whether it's a national nat- a natural disaster or if it's a um, sporting event that's a national thing, there's always a rise in domestic violence. Um, so you take a family that already has someone in the family that's considered um, an abusive partner, and they already have uh, a lot of stress in their life. But now you probably have that partner who has lost a job or might lose a job, and that is increasing their anxiety tenfold. Um, another key thing about domestic violence is that it's about power and control. So when you have a, a, a pandemic and everyone has felt like they've lost power and control, but that's just um, amplified so much in a, a family that has domestic violence. Um, so it just, it turns up the notch tenfold um, to maybe a situation that was somewhat manageable before COVID. But now, most likely, it's not manageable. You know, Sarah, I'm wondering, too, just even as you begin to describe that, um, domestic violence is something that some people may have a sense of even what that is. Could you mm-hmm. give us a, you know, an, a, maybe a layman's understanding of what domestic violence would look like? Sure. Yeah, um, I would be happy to. Um, to go back to the idea of power control, it's the idea that one person in a relationship is using um, whatever they can to have power and control over someone else. Um, Mm. There are many different uh, aspects of domestic violence, and I'll just name a few. Um, It could be physical abuse, emotional abuse, spiritual abuse, sexual, economic, and psychological. And so it's really important to be aware of all of those different facets. It's not just one thing. Um, And it's also a pattern. It's a pattern of behavior. And it it gets so ingrained um, in a relational cycle that it almost becomes normal. And that's one reason why victims of domestic violence don't even really realize that they're victims because it becomes so normal. It's their baseline. Can you so when I think about domestic domestic violence or some of the things that at least I've been exposed to or heard about and even some of the trainings I've had, you know, I often immediately go to the physical violence, right? right. The right. Um, but you just named several other things, uh, you know, uh, emotional, psychological, economic. 
Can you unpack even what that might look like in an amplified sure. space of sure. the, the COVID-19? Yeah. Um, I just thinking in my brain, um, maybe something it could look like, um, let's say the husband is the perpetrator and the wife is the victim and a husband that maybe wasn't physically abusive before, but was very controlling with his words, very controlling with how much money he allowed her to spend, controlling about who he allowed her to talk to and doesn't, um, controlling about their intimate relationship, controlling about how she disciplines the children. So there's just a lot of control, a lot of limits around many different areas of her life. Um, and so the probability is that they have increased those requirements or increased the control around so many different areas. Another really important thing to um, be aware of is there are many relationships where there is not physical violence, but the threat of death is still very high. There have been a number of situations where uh, there's been domestic violence where it's uh, psychological, emotional, and spiritual, and it continues to increase and increase and increase. And then at the end of the cycle, the, the wife gets killed and mm -hmm. people are shocked. Like, how could that happen? Because it got so violent, all of a sudden the perpetrator flipped and he got the gun. And so that's why I'm so passionate about people also believing that psychological, emotional, spiritual, and financial are parts of domestic violence. Yeah, for sure. Well, can you speak into, so the Walking With podcast, the focus is really to help those who are walking with others. Maybe they're in ministry or they're kind of um, just caring for a friend or, or whatever. Those that are walking with others, what would you say are some really important things to be mindful of, mm -hmm. especially now in this amplified space of the mm -hmm. COVID-19? Yeah, it's a great question. Be aware of your friends and if there's any changes in their behavior, if they start to pull away, if they're not answering their phone or not responding quickly to a text message, if they just act strange, if they're not as open if they um, just seem anxious or seem scared, um, I would just really encourage you to contact them more. Um, con contact anyone that has any types of marital conflict or stress. If you know somebody that's lost their job, um, contact them. But I know in my own personal story um, of being a survivor of domestic violence, one of the things that my friends picked up on was that my behavior changed and my personality drastically changed. Hmm. And that was probably really important for them to identify that. Yes. Did they bring that to you then? They did. Uh, two courageous friends brought it to me. And it was so great to feel seen because in my domestic violence situation, I really felt like I had lost myself. And so the fact that they saw me and they saw a change was literally like a lifeline for me. And so they were able to ask me questions to help me figure out what was going on. And Sarah, I remember you saying that you yourself weren't even aware that 
mm-hmm. that you were a victim. Um, you didn't, mm-hmm. you knew that some things weren't right, that you weren't being treated well, but it took a long time for you to learn what that was called. And you were in full-time ministry at the time. That's correct. Yeah. And so I uh, can continue to rationalize it. Oh, it's the first year of marriage. That's always tough, you know. Um, you know, we're from two different cultures. There's got to be a cultural element to it. So I continue to give the benefit of the doubt. And um, it got to the point for me, though, where I knew that this just was not right. Like, I didn't feel good. And I compared my marriage to other marriages. And I thought, huh, those other marriages don't look like this. Um, but I didn't know that I was really being mistreated. Um, and part of it had to do with the idea that I was following the thought pattern of, I just need to submit to my husband and God will change his heart. I just, I just need to do that. I need to be quiet. I need to, you know, please him. And then there will be peace in the home. But actually, the more I went in that direction, the worse it got. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit more about that, Sarah, just not knowing who who all is listening and what they are hearing um, or what they've come to believe um, from the church, from what they believe God might be saying to couples. Um, talk to us a little bit more about yeah. why why it got worse and how you shifted in your thinking yeah. about that. Yeah. So for me, it got to the point where I just was not doing well emotionally at a certain point and where God put me in a place where I was able to get some more intensive counseling. And through that time, I was able to reflect on who I was as a person. I was able to reflect back on my passions and my gifts. And I realized that since I had been married for about two years, I hadn't been involved in what I was passionate about. I hadn't um, followed through with what my gifts were. And I felt internally like I had died in a lot of ways. I didn't feel alive anymore. And I felt very small internally. And um, that really caught my attention when I realized that. Um, Something um, I'll share now is, the moment when I realized it wasn't just marital conflict and it was actually abuse was a moment in a group therapy session and they had us each draw a picture of our bodies and they had us mark on our bodies any place where we'd been mistreated. So of course I put an X over my heart, an X over my my head because he had said things to me that were really, really bad. Um, so in the head and the heart. Um, and then I thought, oh, you know what? He, he, he did actually threaten to strangle me once. And another time he did uh, grab a knife and hold it up to my neck. And so I put an X next to my neck. And then I went up to the front of the group and they had each of us share pictures. And so as I shared the picture, it was, I was just going through the motions and saying, yep, this happened, this happened, this happened. But when I got to the point where 
I pointed to the X on my neck and explained why I put the X there. And I saw the people's reactions in the room to me. It hit me. It was like, oh, this isn't okay. And it was the sh- like like a literal shift in my spirit, and I realized this is really serious. So um, at that point, my counselor spoke with me and just said, "Sarah, I'm scared for you." And that also woke me up and helped me to see that just because I'm not getting black and blue eyes all the time, it's a very dangerous situation. And so my hope for the listeners is that they would. Um, really take seriously the idea that verbal and spiritual abuse is really dangerous. The other thing I would just add real quickly is there's a lot of things about the theology that I used to embrace um, that was really dangerous and that kept me in this situation for so long. Yeah. And I think especially for those who are in ministry, the, the idea that you might actually be a victim is is kind of outside the realm of possibility, right? You don't even imagine that that's, yeah. that could be you. So, sir, would you, you said a little while ago, you know, what someone should do or could do to help someone that you might suspect is going through this, especially as we're, you know, all behind closed doors, all at home, our access to other people uh, is limited. There are no, you know, additional eyes on us. You know, we're not going out to group therapy right now. We're not out mm-hmm. in, at the workplace. We're not in spaces where people are seeing us. You know, what would be some things that, you know, you would say to 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 someone like me who's, you know, caring for others to just be alert to and then what should we do when we actually mm. actually think something is happening over in that house? Something is happening for those people. What should we do? For one example is just to contact the friends, keep in touch with them. If you think something's going on, ask them, but only ask them in a safe way. Don't ask them when the perpetrator's there, the possible abuser's there. Text message them that, email them that. Don't ask them in a phone conversation when they have to respond and the abuser could be listening. If you're if you're very, very concerned um, that there's maybe a, like a crisis happening right then. I would always check with, with the victim first though, because you don't want to put them in a situation where they might lose their life. So I would text message them and I would say, is there a crisis right now? Do you want me to call 911 for you? Do you want me to come over? Like ask them questions where they just have to say yes and no. Um, and they may need you to be their voice for them. They may need you to make a phone call or send a text message. So that's one thing I can mention. Sarah, I actually love all of the various um, specific suggestions that you offered in the Mm. article that you wrote for our Restoration Counseling blog, and I will be sharing that in our show notes. Um, You had some specific websites and phone numbers and even text numbers of of how people who are in danger can respond, can reach out for help safely. So we will make sure that that's in our show notes so everyone can see that um, because that was super helpful. Are there any last things that you would want our listeners to hear or understand before we, we close? The most important thing for a victim of domestic violence is to have people that continue to be in their life, to continue to ask questions, to continue to listen. 
Um, and I, I think another thing I just want to offer as a challenge to people is examine your theology and examine it in a, with a lens of, does this bring life to both the man and the woman? Does this bring life to everyone? And if there are things that don't bring life to everyone, I just ask you to, to look more into that. So, Sarah, one of the things that uh, we know is that you have chosen your new last name mm-hmm. after you've left your your uh, marriage situation, the domestic violence situation. Can you just mm-hmm. tell us uh, why you chose the name you did and what it is? Yeah, thank you for um, asking that. Uh, so, I lived in the country of Turkey for 13 years, and so I really... Um, love the Turkish culture. It's really a part of me internally. Um, I cannot separate Turkey out from me now at this point. So my married last name was a Turkish name. Um, But when I got divorced, um, I decided that I needed to change my last name. And I didn't want to go back to my maiden American name because I felt so Turkish. And I still wanted my name to represent my Americanness and my Turkishness both. So I decided I need to adopt um, a Turkish name um, because I wanted to make a statement that I am in a, I am a, a new person in a, in a new stage of my life. Um, but as I thought about what word do I want to choose to symbolize who I am, uh, the word Cardalen came to mind. Um, and the story behind Cardalen is I was in a recovery group, not recovery group, more of like a support group for women that had been through abusive relationships. And there was a Turkish woman in that group. And at the very end of our um, three months together, we each gave a word to each other, a word to bless them, a word to name them. And so she gave me the word kardelen. The word kar in Turkish means snow. And the word delen means to pierce through. So it's something that pierces through the snow. And specifically, it's the crocus flower that comes up at the end of the winter, early spring. It's the first flower that comes up through the snow. And the reason she gave it to me as a word was when we first started uh, the the group, I was literally had just left my ex-husband and I was still in the country. Um, I was not communicating with him. My life was very topsy-turvy at that point. But through those three months, I got to a point where I was able to get my feet underneath me and um, start to find my voice again. And so she saw in me that I was embodying the crocus flower, that I was piercing through my situation and that I was coming up and then coming alive again. And so that word gave me a lot of hope. So when I decided to change my name, I decided to change it to that. And so every time I see my name written down somewhere, spoken, it reminds me that she saw that in me. And it reminds me, I want to keep pushing forward. And I want that to embody my life. Um, And I want to um, call other women to, to pierce through the darkness. To, to push forward through whatever's dark in their life, knowing that there can be life on the other side. Oh, that's absolutely beautiful. Thank you so much for sharing that story. We love that. 
Sarah, that's great. That is such a great note to leave, to leave on um, because that is the heart of Jesus, right? Mm-hmm. I am just so appreciative of you right now, of your willingness to, to offer your experience and your wisdom to our listeners and um, just even your initial concern. I, I think I saw you post something on mm-hmm. Facebook that drew me um, into you. Like, I just love that you are um, using what you've gone through to be a voice um, for so many others. So we appreciate you. Love talking with you today. Thank you so much. Yeah, thanks for having me.